This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Today's quote is from Monica Hess from The Washington Post, writing in November of 2019. It's about the general reaction to Marie Yovanovitch testifying during the, uh, the old impeachment trial. This quote is part of the inspiration for the final segment of this podcast when I ask my guests to bring in a voice they admire. Here's the quote. We're in the early stages of building a listening library of powerful female voices. We still can't ask, as Senator Klobuchar pointed out in a presidential debate, quote, who is your favorite woman president, end quote. During the height of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, she was so besieged with charges of shrillness that The Atlantic magazine interviewed experts to figure out what made her voice so allegedly irritating. They found that her so-called shrill voice was actually, quote, average in pitch and loudness for her age and gender, end quote. The issue wasn't how she sounded. It was how she sounded to us, a listening public without the oral reference library to assess female authority, trustworthiness, and power. Our voice is a reflection of our life experience, where we've been and who we've listened to. But we can also own it and even change it if we want. This is the podcast that's all about the voice, but it's also all about power, who has it, how we get it, and how we sound when we have it. I'm Samara Bay. I'm a dialect coach for actors in Hollywood on projects like the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel. And I'm also a speech coach for entrepreneurs, politicians, creatives, and women everywhere who need to use their voice to get what they want. Welcome to Permission to Speak. Let's do this. Today's guest is John Neffinger. He's a man. He talks about, uh, trigger warning, um, the... uh, the guy who's our president. And nonetheless, I wanted to have him on because he's a world-class communication coach 
whose book Compelling People is taught at top business schools around the country because it synthesizes a massive amount of the most recent studies on how we're perceived and makes it super clear. We can argue the fairness and uh, whether we have to follow the rules just because they're the rules, and I do, but we can't argue with the data. It's depressing and it's enlightening. He was also the comms director for the Democratic National Committee and coached Hillary Clinton leading up to the 2016 election, which we talk about here, as well as his thoughts on Elizabeth Warren suspending her campaign. We had a lovely chat geeking out about coaching people since we both do so, and it's full of practical advice that I hope is useful. This is John. So your book, Compelling People, Mm. or Compelling People. Yeah, I know. There's a double entendre in there somewhere. I would like to point that out. Um, Focuses largely on two different metrics, strength Mm -hmm. and form. Yes, it is two metrics. It is one framework. It is, they are in but they're two different tension. dials. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Yeah, it's a really nifty framework, and it's one that comes in handy in a lot of the kinds of conversations that you have, where you're thinking, you're you're trying to make sense of all of this soft and smushy, whether it's vocal tone or posture or body language, or the stuff that makes us react to each other the way that we do, mm-hmm. but is very hard to see which parts are doing what things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a framework that helps it's organize It's incredibly that. simplifying. It's really simplifying. And it, when it we're talking sense, about yeah. strength, we're talking about, mm-hmm. as you say in the book, the mm-hmm. root of respect. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about warmth, we're talking about the root of affection. Correct. How much someone likes Correct. us. And you can map these on top of everything from, you know, the sort of energy somebody walks into a room with mm-hmm. and their look and their gender and their race and their age Mm -hmm. and their height. Mm -hmm. But you can also even map it on like sounds that we make that sound soft versus hard. Absolutely. And you can map it on how we apologize. If you say you realize you hurt someone, that's warmth. If you say you commit to not doing it again, that's strength. And it's not a good apology if it doesn't have both. Yeah, yes, Do we you actually, you know? I apologize well. Uh-huh. Right. You or can, not and, so well. and then obviously also on leadership. And that's where. Correct. Correct. Yes. So where do you want to start? Well, my first question <laughs> okay. is it, just to back up for a second is how do you describe what you do? Because obviously it can be so wildly oh, broad. I don't know. You got and a job for me? And I bet you me? have to. <laughs> <laughs> I just do lots co-host. of different stuff. I do. I know, right? <laughs> I, I am very, very fortunate because I do a lot of things for a lot of folks over the course of the year. Interesting things come up. And mostly it adds up to enough money to pay my rent at the, at the or my mortgage at this point mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the year. So... Um, so I, I, am I see, a jack how, you, of many I see how you said how you said that with a lot of strength, and then you warmed it up at the end. There, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. You got to do the thing, right? Yep, yep, yeah, yep. you got to walk the talk. So, so look on paper, you mm-hmm. are a speaking coach. That's right. Uh, on paper, I describe myself much the same way you do. Right. Um, that I help politicians and others, be they organizational leaders or other folks in the media or advocates or school kids I work like I'll, I'll work with anybody yeah. to express themselves effectively mm-hmm. and so I'd like to work with people who I agree with who I want people to hear um, but other than that it's people from all walks of life and then there's also a whole strategy side 
there is a whole strategy side, and I do a lot of other comps. Like, I've been the comms director for the Democratic National mm-hmm. uh, Committee party mm-hmm. at some point. So there's a bunch of other associated communication strategy. because how, quote-unquote, we present yeah. ourselves uh-huh. and what we're presenting ourselves with. Mm. We don't just tell people to fill your voice to the edge of the room. There are more things than that. Yes, there is a much—I don't know if you've talked about this before on this, mm. but there is a much misquoted study from the early oh, yes. 70s. Tell me about it. Moravian. Do you know about Moravian? Yes, He's like a local boy, right? He was at UCLA, and you I don't mean, know these things? everybody in L.A. is not from L.A. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, he was a, it's a city of transplants. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, like D.C. But he was doing these studies where he was trying to figure out how do you— decode the emotion or what's the most important channel through which we interpret the emotion of somebody who's talking to us. And so we got three. We got their words and we've got what we're seeing and we've got what we're hearing. Obviously you're hearing their words, but the music and the The whatever, the tone in the voice. Mm -hmm. And so the punchline is that he, well, the way it's mostly told is mm-hmm. the words are only 7% of mm-hmm. the communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so th- some vast majority, like more than 50% uh-huh. is body language. And then between, yes. uh, and like 35, 40% is tone of voice. And that leaves less than 10 for us to very depressingly uh, <laughs> re- reflect the content of what we're trying to very say. Very nicely said. But what he was actually asking is where does the emotion come through? Mm-hmm. And what he was doing to come up with these suspiciously precise numbers. <laughs> was to pit them against one another. Mm -hmm. So we've all been in a room where somebody stands up at the front of the room to talk to us and says, "Uh, I'm happy to be here today because... And you're like, really? (laughs) Are you now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Clearly Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if our body language is... Yeah, like he wants to crawl in a hole. blying our confidence Mm -hmm. and we're saying confident-sounding things, but our body is saying, I don't belong right. here. Then we we believe our eyes and our ears over the right over the content over the words themselves. So it's a very clever way to figure out what matters in terms of the emotion just by pitting the channels against each other. But what it gets reduced to is 7% of your communication. Only 7% of your communication is what you say. So why say? So why right. So like read from the dictionary but just have really gleaming white teeth and yeah, stand yeah, up yeah, straight yeah, yeah. and yeah, yes. no. No. But the emotional content is why Anybody is going to take time out of their schedule to go and visit with somebody and be in the same room as opposed to sending an email. Like we have lots of ways to send words around these days, but we take that time, not just because of, you know, conversation back and forth. We can do that electronically too, Mm. but we want to be in the same space because there is an emotional thing that happens when two people are together and seeing each other and being in each other's presence and that's an important thing. That's what, how we decide what means, what gives meaningful and important. That's right. Exactly. And so just for listeners, the sort of button of this misunderstanding uh-huh. of these three different statistics is it, that it's not that what we're saying doesn't matter. It's that if our body language and our tone of voice mm-hmm. are not in alignment with uh-huh. what we're saying, we will not believe you. Yes. I use lots of political examples because that's where I hail from. And, you know, Sarah Palin strode on the national stage and everyone went, oh, wow, who's she? And then she sat down for an interview and couldn't string together enough thoughts. And yeah, and it blew up. Mm-hmm. So you got to you got to know your content, but mm-hmm. just knowing your content isn't enough to make it matter to anybody necessarily. Well, and also for those of us thinking about how to apply this in our lives, to really trust that how we think about walking onto that stage and Mm -hmm. trusting ourselves and believing ourselves and the strength side of it maybe Mm -hmm. is actually going to have an impact. Yes. 
You know, yes. we can't actually just know our material. We right. have to also trust that our yeah. body's going to reveal whether or not we feel like we deserve to be up there. That's right. That's right. So what is that mental work that we can do ahead of time? Which actually leads me to my real question, which oh, the is real how question. do you work with people? What, how, what is, a, what what is an hour-long process? Experience with me? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, let's say a new client. Let's yeah. say maybe somebody running for office. Let's yeah. say maybe a woman. Yeah. I am working with a lot of just overachieving people who have a lot of smart thoughts because that's their job and they've trained mm -hmm. and, you know, spent God knows how many years in school and then had all this experience. And so there's a lot of content rattling around in their heads upstairs. But oftentimes the reason I get called in is because it's not doesn't seem to be coming out right or doesn't seem to be having the intended effect, <laughs> the desired effect on Which the audience. Which we might say literally everybody needs that help everybody because we could all lose use perspective Absolutely. on the things rattling around in our heads. Definitely, definitely so. When I get called in for essentially, you know, kind of remedial stuff, but it's not always remedial. Sometimes it's just like, look, we need to step this up and we need to compete on a way bigger stage than we've been used to. And mm -hmm. so let's, let's talk about what's going on here. Um, Oftentimes I'm dealing with people who are very comfortable in an analytical space mm. where they're thinking about stuff and there's logic and stuff makes sense. And they're much less comfortable in a sort of touchy-feely intuitive space. And part of what's tricky about this for them is they feel like they're being thrust into a space where the rules of the game are not clear to them and they have no way to take control back. Of, and when of you say the rules of the game, do you mean like literally when we're communicating with people to try to get them to do something for us? That's right. Whether it's give exactly. us money or vote for us. Right. To have people respond positively mm -hmm. to them and their message. Mm -hmm. Right. And so part of the reason to take the time to write a book about this mm -hmm. and to, you know, work with all these academics and think about this theory and structure is that part of what I will often do at the beginning of my session is to introduce that as a way for people to now have a way to think about what's working and what's not, what they're doing and what levers they could, you know, pull to change the outcome. Because before it was just like, you know, you need better energy or more confidence or all things which are totally true and worth saying and worth identifying, but not super actionable for somebody who, mm -hmm. who is not comfortable operating in that space. I mean, I, you spend a lot more time on set than I have. And maybe on set that makes all this uh, like, oh yes, of course, more energy, right? But to my people, a lot of my people, that's like, you know, you might as well say, you know, grow another head. Perfect. That's the, I mean, two know. things. One is, yes, when you're working with people who are professional performers right. and who have spent their lives trying to figure out sort of the mind-body connection so that they mm -hmm. actually know mm -hmm. how to sort of work the instrument that is themselves, mm -hmm. that's instantly easier than anybody I've worked with who's from the business or political yeah. sectors because there is a disconnect. I yeah. mean, it just happens societally. Yeah. Like we get put in boxes and we get our heads cut off from our bodies and, you know, <laughs> uh, we forget how to like access joy in a really like... What was that, seven? What, what was that? No, what was that? I... <laughs> What's in the box, that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other part of it is there's such an immediacy when you're about to go on camera and your scene partners right there and you're mm -hmm. acting opposite them mm -hmm. or on stage or something like that. Yeah. But I imagine that sort of the further away the audience is, whether it's through a lens or you're on a big stage and the lights are blinding you, right. you can't part of this is like, how do we bring the version of ourselves that we're, that we like, right. that we're used to when we're talking one-on-one -on -one with somebody and scale right. that up to these 
really like artificial feeling. Exactly. Exactly. Scenario. Exactly. And for folks who are communicating not in character, mm-hmm. most of the time. Oh, yeah. And the be yourself part. Oh, yeah. that. <laughs> most of the time what we're going for is some version of how they are with their friends or wherever it is that they're relaxed and comfortable expressing themselves. Not always. Some people, that's not ideal, and we need to I know, talk nip about and tuck. That. We're going to talk about that. But a place where they are communicating authentically how they feel on the inside. That is what makes us, first of all, that's what makes us trust people. Donald Trump communicates authentically the stuff he's either fooled himself about or the stuff he's trying to will into being, but he's definitely speaking from a place that he has some honest feeling around. Mm-hmm. It's the, the facts are all wrong, but he's saying what he feels mm-hmm. in a way that for poor Hillary Clinton, right, who knew she, if she said one thing that was a little bit tiny, really factually questionable, she would get triple checked and rung up for it by the media. So she, when she's speaking, was constantly editing and monitoring what she was saying in a way that you could see the gears grinding as she spoke. And so it looked calculated, even when it was her absolute best effort to be honest when it comes to the facts. So it's the speaking with feeling. In politics, there's been an interesting move. And I think this is true in the business world too. I don't know if it's everywhere, but basically we talk about going from oration to conversation. So oration is this sort of formal thing, which if you think about it just from a technological standpoint, right? Go back a few hundreds of years when they used to teach rhetoric in schools. Like that was a main Mm -hmm. topic of conversation is how you do this and logos and pathos and all this stuff. And if you think about it, you've got no mic. We don't have one of these things Mm -hmm. here. And so you are, if you're standing in front of a crowd, you have to project to the back of the room kind of thing for people to hear you. And if you want to be covered in the media, you have to write the speech down so you can give it to the newspaper man, which means that if you're going to tell him that you gave the speech, then you have to give the speech. You have to write Mm -hmm. the speech down first and then stick to what's on the Mm -hmm. page, Mm -hmm. right? And the amount of ways that this has changed. Right. Now, every one of us has a like enormous TV the size of a like seven-year-old in your living room, right? And you, and it's HD and you can see every pore. Well, no, there's make people thankfully for Mm -hmm. that, but, but you can see every twitch of every facial muscle and we want to Mm -hmm. because that's how we know that you're getting the straight dope from that Mm -hmm. person, right? That you're real. Very different, totally. It's that real, authentic feeling. And if even it feels like they're reciting lines, this is a thing that's, you can bridge this, and you know more about how to bridge this than than most people do. But forget the act of reading, right? We all know, we can see somebody looking at the page, and they're looking down, and then they're looking up at us. Okay, fine, they're reading. The act of reciting something that someone has memorized— unless you're a pro at this, Mm -hmm. that is a different mental activity than just what you and I are doing now talking. Yes. Right? And what that means is it has a different set of nonverbal behaviors around it. So when you and I are talking, we can see each other. We know that we're just speaking what we're thinking and feeling in the moment. That's the real deal. If I'm reciting something, all my nonverbals are going to be different. My vocal tone will probably be different. My my visual will definitely be different unless I'm really, really good at this, mm-hmm. right? Ronald but even Reagan. so, but uh-huh. even so, the other major factor when you're reciting is mm-hmm. that you can't pivot. You're not listening. That's yes, exactly. Exactly. It's not gonna fit. My answers gonna aren't gonna fit. fit what you're saying at all, right? right? Yeah. And so if you're doing that, people know. Mm-hmm. And then in my world, in the political world, the question is immediately, okay, 
that's not you. Yeah, you agreed to say it, but I have no idea what team of, you know, consultants and pollsters and mm-hmm. God knows who else mm-hmm. wrote that crap for you. Mm-hmm. And so I get that you've signed off on it, but I still don't know who you are, mm-hmm. except that you're someone who signs off on whatever somebody else tells mm-hmm. them to say. Mm-hmm. That's not where we're going. You got to bring it. You got to be real for people to be like, that's who I want in charge. So it feels like A, authentic equals good, but B, mm-hmm. what if your authentic self isn't, uh, doesn't <laughs> hew to flawed. what society, <laughs> not even, but doesn't hew to what society says is what we're used to seeing a powerful person looking and sounding like. Right, right. And, you know, working with a type A straight white man where the problem is like, let's bring out some warmth. Great. Yeah, we know about that. I mean, you know, this sort of idea of we're used to being analytical, but oh fuck, we got to tell some stories in here because I hear stories or what what uh, <laughs> what make people tick. Give right? me a story, right? I mean, but inevitably there is some element of that. Yeah. But I mean, there's this great line from Rebecca Traister's book Good and Mad where she's talking mm-hmm. about your work, mm-hmm. and she says that for men a little bit of warmth goes a long way, and yes. for women a little bit of strength goes way too far. Yes. What do you do when somebody's authentic self, quote unquote, isn't as palatable <laughs> to like the old guard? Of of listeners. Yeah. So there are different ways to think about this. So if I want to explain this within the strength and warmth framework, the old guard has the power, doesn't want to give it up any more than anybody else with power does. And they're looking for some things. There's some stuff that they're looking for that registers to them, frosty as they are, as warmth. From that audience's point of view, something that's familiar something that validates how they are in the world, right? And so how do you appeal to those people? Some of it is ass-kissing. We all know that, right? It feels like what we're also talking about is short-term versus long-term because in the Mm short-term for somebody who, say, hires you, we're saying how does that person who hires you succeed in Mm -hmm. the narrowly defined success that they're going for in the next pitch or the next cycle mm-hmm. or the next yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And in that case, success means uh, playing by these rules and dialing up the thing that they're missing. Yeah. And then there's the much longer term idea of where we're going with all this and yeah. what responsibility or opportunity we each individually have in saying, just because this is how it's been done. Absolutely. If you look at change or persuasion as something that we're trying to do or in this communication space, right? You almost always 99 times out of 100, yes, you need somebody's attention and that's a preliminary thing and you may need to break some china to get there. But for the most part, you're meeting your audience where they are at now first. Mm. Then once you've established to your audience that you are worth listening to, Mm. now you can introduce new thoughts. Now you can introduce new ways of thinking and new approaches that might include having their ears more open to a different kind of approach the next time. It's but a you little bit like work within at. the system to Yeah, you got to win the game before you can change it. All right, we're going to take a break and be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, we're back with John. <laughs> we were talking um, on the break about how important it is to remember that we have a body in all this work. Oh, yeah. And John, you mentioned that you do uh, warm-ups with people sometimes if the environment seems to allow for it. I kind of whenever it can be gotten away with, which is its own issue. But Yeah, well, when can it not be gotten away with? Because um, I'm interested in corporate culture and what culture, <laughs> what, what sort of work culture, uh, you know. Yeah. How, um, it, how it loosens over time? Well. Question mark? Um. It, it can be a little bit abrupt and these things like a, a lot goes into that judgment a lot like are you right after lunch and everybody's half comatose mm-hmm. or first thing in the morning is actually sometimes these are actually good excuses to do this the move that i'm talking about is getting everybody up out of their seats moving around for just a minute and there's a there's a whole scientific piece about why that's a good thing and it's an opportunity to explain that that well, we have and a body also, and why that matters you have a relationship a working relationship with amy cuddy I who do. i feel like is known for uh, allowing people <laughs> to take up more space with their bodies this is the thing which has all the scientific basis and there's the harvard hanging over it all i mean these there's are all a lot ways to sort yeah. of encourage people to loosen up around this stuff. But yes. Does that work? I mean, what's people's reaction when yes. they're like, everybody so get was, up. Right. If you move around and take up lots of space. And basically in the early days when people were nervous before speeches, the standard prescription was jumping jacks, 20, outside, mm-hmm. right now. And they come back in and be like, oh yeah, this feels better. And it was that mechanical because as you mentioned, we have a body. And all of that stuff that's going on, the experience of being nervous and all of that tightening and warbling and weirdness is energy that's being directed by, you know, various glands and things going on in there. And you can seize control of that a little bit by moving around in certain ways. So basically, move around, take up space, shake it all out a few minutes before you're doing whatever it is you're doing. And at the very minimum, it takes the edge off what you're doing. But if you really whoop and holler and get into it, you get yourself in a a totally euphoric but much more confident place to be able to stride into that situation and have people go, oh, oh, okay, what's what this, this is interesting, what's this gonna be? 
So You seem like a real person. You seem like a real person who's not wanting to crawl into a hole because you're terrified because this is a very, and it is, it's, we get called upon when you're successful in life and you get asked to speak to groups of people at once. It is nerve wracking, right? All the studies show people would rather be, you know, in the coffin than doing the eulogy or eaten by a shark than whatever, all the public speaking stuff. And there's a good reason for it that people totally just don't appreciate. The good reason is this. So if you and I are now sitting across the table from each other, that's great. And as I'm talking, you're not checked out. You're not just like staring at me like you would a YouTube video. You're nodding and you're mm-hmm-ing and you're making good eye contact mm-hmm. and facial expressions and all of these good things that tell me you're doing great. Keep going, mm-hmm. right? If I weren't doing this, this is good. We could do a little experiment. No, please don't. If you were just staring at me blankly, I would start to get a knot in my stomach after mm-hmm. just a couple minutes mm-hmm. because I'd be like, oh, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you do this in front of a whole group full of people is to them, it's not a conversation. They are the audience and you are the television and they are off the hook for this interaction. And no matter how much you love your favorite TV show, you do not nod and and whatever at the screen as it's going. So they're just- Send them encouragement. Right. Oh, oh, (laughs) that would be like, get the net, right? So, So they're just rocked back, letting it wash over them which means they're staring blankly at you. Not one blank face, but a whole sea of mm-hmm. blank faces now. And so, of course, you're going to get knot in your stomach and like mm-hmm. have all kinds of physiological changes that signal nervousness because it looks like it's going horribly because why aren't these people talking to me? Right, on a really basic level. Super if you look at primal, someone and physiological... they're not saying, we get you, that means yes. they don't get you. That, or at least right. it opens up the question in your mind and then you're spending half your time up there thinking, what Do are these people they thinking about me? hate me? Right, and because when people normally approve of what you're saying to them, you get this whole stream of feedback that's not there. So how do you break up that pattern? Right, right. Picture them at, no, do not picture them in their underwear. I think that was mm-hmm. the Brady Bunch. I don't know how that guy I mean, it's ridiculous. such while it's, yeah. yeah, that's not what you do. Yeah. So first of all, you can strengthen your own sort of confidence and take control of your own physiology, just the way we we're talking about before, for sure. Part of it, knowing is part of the battle, knowing that that sea of blank faces, that that's what's happening when you see that. And also knowing that, when your lizard brain, you know, sees that, you are going to have some of that physical reaction, even though you know mm-hmm. why they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too. The problem, the real, you know, sort of public speaking, fantastic stories of the disaster and when the wheels came off and all the rest of that, that stuff happens when people beat themselves up for it, when people mm. get nervous. In the moment, you mean, while they're still the up moment, there. In the moment, and then they say, oh, my God, I'm nervous. Oh my God, I'm screwing this up. Oh my God, why am I nervous? Like, and and you people will tell themselves, they'll set themselves up for this. They'll say, I'm going to be great at my talk as long as I don't get nervous. Well, guess right, what? Right, 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 right. Recipe for disaster. Yeah. You know, what I'm really asking, I think, is probably how do people change? How do you mm-hmm. get people to change? You know, mm. I mean, how do they get themselves? Because obviously mm-hmm. it's, if they've paid you, they have a vested interest in making that change, but also it's really hard. Right. Somebody who's writing the check thinks that this should Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes right. that's right. There's also the question of buy-in. If yes, like, the exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know that as a coach. So your book is structured in two main parts, mm-hmm. the hand you're dealt and playing that hand, mm-hmm. which I think is a really handy, <laughs> I'm 
um, way of thinking about, you know, what we have control over. Obviously, mm-hmm. certain aspects, and you, you talk about this at the beginning of the playing the hand section where we're sort of mm-hmm. going from here's what you look like and you can't control it into here's what you can control. And you say, you know, short of surgery, you can't do much about the way that you look, et cetera. But that's exactly why these physical attributes are far from the last word on how people judge your character. At the end of the day, character is a matter of who you choose to be, not the way you happen to be born. And then, you know, you talk about there's unconscious stuff. And then you say unconscious stuff, meaning we're lost in thought or we're having these moments Mm -hmm. like we were just describing. Mm -hmm. And then there's this line that I wanted to read. But even if a lot of behavior is unconscious, nearly all of it can be subject to conscious choice. Mm-hmm. You can choose not only to behave differently, but to learn how to behave differently. You can take steps that change the way you react unconsciously in the future. Some of these changes require a lot of practice, but others just take a little imagination. Mm-hmm. Will you tell me what that means? You know where I start thinking about this is back with our friend Morabian, who we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. Because the reason that we trust the visual more than we trust the vocal and the vocal more than we trust the words is those are in reverse order of conscious control. We have to consciously choose which words are coming out of our mouth by and large. Mm. And since we're choosing the words anyway, the vocal tone is sort of right there. So we can play with that a little bit consciously more easily too. But when we're forming words, we're mostly not thinking about where our hands are or our posture or any of that stuff. And so as an interpreter of human communication, I know that most of the time, the things that I'm seeing are going to be controlled not by somebody deciding what to show me, but just by how that person feels, right? Mm -hmm. And then next most for vocal tone, and then lastly for the words themselves, which they're consciously choosing. So the question is, how do you take at some point, conscious control of what's going on with the rest of that stuff, not because we want to lie, but because we want to actually express ourselves even more confidently, even more effectively. And part of that is muscle memory, the kinds of things that we might do. We put a lot of emphasis on the, what we call the warm-up routine. I'll give you a quick story. So first time I went on TV at national TV was, uh, it was, what's his name? Chris Matthews. And so I was doing like body language interpretation on some debate thing. Mm -hmm. And I was excited and I sat in the little booth in the little box and it was a remote thing kind of like this. And I had all my answers. By the way, we're not remote just for everybody. Yeah, we're not remote, but the, the, but the, like me and the mic, right. (laughs) You're not on. Yeah. And I wasn't sitting there with Chris. Mm -hmm. So he was in some, some other city and I was really enthusiastic and it was great. And Let's just say the effect was not what I wanted. And what I mean by that was I was like waggling around and Mm -hmm. jumping all around and doing this thing with my neck that kind (laughs) of looked like a bad Stevie Wonder impression. It's so ironic that you were talking about body language. Oh my God. Yes, right? Yeah. And so the next time I went on, this is the, the actionable part, when I'm sitting in the chair and I'm mic'd up and made up and all of this stuff, what I did in that moment to kind of get my body language in my muscle, what we call short-term muscle memory. Mm. The short-term muscle memory where I wanted it to be was I just did this little miniature movement like I was heading a soccer ball. Back at soccer practice, boom, Mm -hmm. boom, Mm -hmm. boom. And what that did for me is then when we were live, I didn't have to think about it that much. Where my body went when I started to talk was here instead of, Mm -hmm. so forward Mm -hmm. and backwards, instead Mm -hmm. of side to side in a Mm -hmm. serpentine Mm -hmm. motion, which Mm -hmm. was not 
Yeah. But the forward and backwards, if you were in the room with me, you'd see is tiny. Like, like not Subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, no, it was not huge. I was not mm-hmm. jumping out of my chair and thrusting my forehead at the camera. But uh, <laughs> next time. It, yeah. But it changed posture and it changed movement and it was much more, at least appropriate for that setting. Right. And you can change the stuff and you can be who you want to be. So how did you think about the actual content of what you were saying while also thinking about do this thing with my body? Well, this is the beauty of the warm-up routine, right? Which is in the moment I was thinking about my content, but my muscles were doing the thing that I'd been doing a couple of minutes ago, a couple of minutes before, which is this forward and backwards thing. And so it was much easier for me to reproduce that in the moment. You know, you have a limited amount of bandwidth, a limited amount of conscious bandwidth in the moment. And the mm. more nervous you are, the more that shrinks, mm. right? So you can't control everything all at once, even if you have very specific, fantastic plans for how you're going to do your voice here and you're going to do your other thing here. And the, no, 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 it's going to happen in the moment. And so it's like uh, Ron Popeil. Yes, set it and forget it. No, late night sure. infomercials. So you're setting... <laughs> Your your plan, your plan. We'll have a link to it. That's right. To like early eighties infomercials, <laughs> late night, sleep deprived, idiots um. buying things that don't work. So by practicing that, I'm more confident that my body's going to do the thing it wants. And to. this is something I imagine with clients, you have to sort of just lightly convince them of because there is that sense of like, oh my god, how could I possibly keep track of all these things at once? But no, actually, like doing this little bit of practice ahead of time and actually then you does don't something have to, to our bodies. Right, and then you don't have to keep track of it. The A number one question, I don't know if it's always people's first question, but it's the thing that they actually do need to know and mm. don't know. Mm. When you speak in public, unless you have note cards or a clicker or a podium or a mic, is what do I do with my hands? It's like being the boy at the sixth grade dance and like, do I snap? Do I point? What do I do? <laughs> do? I don't know. <laughs> For the women listening, I feel like that's a really funny like uh, it, revelation it about is, what the well, boys were thinking about in the day. The boys had no idea. They knew like if you guys wiggled a little bit, it looked pretty good. And for us, it's like all of our gestures that we've been rehearsing for the last few years were from football, which does not look good on a dance floor. It's a different thing or baseball. Anyhow, so the question of what to do with your hands, mostly when we're talking, this is not universal, but mostly when we're talking, our hands move And that's great. It gives some visual interest and connotes energy. There is an old saying in this business, if it's just the public speaking piece, that your audience is never going to be more interested in your material than you are. So if your hands are dangling at your sides and just your mouth moving and you're not even excited enough about it to move your hands, it's going to convey that like this is dry as dust. Why would they be interested? Yeah, like you clearly want to be somewhere else. Why should I want to be here? But mostly if we can start feeling a little bit, our hands are going to do a thing until you reach the end of the sentence, the end of the paragraph, if you want to think about it that way. And then suddenly your hands have no idea where to be. And there's a whole catalog of things that they do in that moment that are mostly awful and awkward and visually very distracting to your audience because we're visual creatures and those hands are speaking more They're loudly a story. than you are. What happens at the end of their story? That's right. And usually it's some sort of clutching nervousness or <laughs> weirdness. Uh-huh. And there's every different variety of thing. And so there are a couple of things that don't look bad. So one of the things that we do, again, the warm-up routine is a great place to reinforce this, is go through motions that show how do you come back to a resting position mm-hmm. that's usually your hands nested one inside the other around sort of belly button, belt buckle. Yeah, you're 
You're doing it sitting down. It's all good. <laughs> Belly button, belt buckle level. We can't talk about this without becoming self-conscious. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, Back when I was I'm single, oh, my Lord. Like, it was the worst part when I had to explain what I did for a living. Because mm-hmm. as soon as people figured out that it had something to do with body language, yeah. suddenly they're shifting nervously in their chairs yes. and just entirely yes. self-conscious. And it was awful. Yes. I get so, this as well. Yes. With the you, voice You know version. about this. I people bet you like, do. God, you must like, be thinking about my accent. I'm like, I'm thinking about the content of what you're saying. And your body language and your tone. Exactly. Exactly. And storytelling creatures. That's right. And they're thinking about this emotions. going like, ah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you know about this. You don't have to mention it. I want to say, though, because there is a natural segue in here mm. when you're talking about people up on the podium mm-hmm. and being interested in their material. Mm-hmm. I would love to know what makes you tick. What ah. makes you want to do this? How are you How contributing to sort of like fall into this? How he, I mean, a little bit. I'd like to know that. But also really like what makes you excited? So, okay, where to start? So me, we want to talk about me. Is that what you're saying? You want to talk about me? So. You are my guest. I am your guest. Okay, so me, I. I would like to take this moment to appreciate that you were the first straight white male we've had on. And I value Seriously? that even you are having a moment where you're like, oh God, surely no one wants to know about me. <laughs> My boring suburban upbringing. I appreciate that. No, I'm not. Look, to be fair, I am not asking about your boring suburban upbringing. I'm literally saying what makes you excited about this work because, you yeah. know, yeah. how humans communicate is. Right. I have reasons, you know, I sure. have reasons that I get excited it about. It should this. be exciting, right? Um, 2004, there was an election and the draft dodger beat the war hero. Mm-hmm. And I, first of all, didn't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I and second that of all, day very well. yeah, didn't want it to happen again. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that I do this had a lot to do with politics and politically Democrats fancy you want themselves, the right person to win. Yes. I want the right person to win. And for the most part, there are some arguments about policy or whatever, but for the most part, the people that I want to win are the ones who are trying to figure out how to govern the country in a way that makes everybody the most people like some kind of maximal happiness. You can argue about what the, the end state is. But then there's another party that makes a very good living taking money from people with power and money and keeping their power and money safe, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I, it was sort of always thus, and that's fine. But I want the good guys to win because I'm a Star Wars kid. And so their own bias is that if we just explain mm-hmm. to the people how good our ideas are, mm-hmm. they will choose us mm-hmm. to implement those ideas for their benefit. And if they're not choosing us, we just have to explain it more thoroughly. Yes, yes. we got to hold them Which in their seats the longer and make of them good yes, communication. Exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, the party that's doing this as an investment, basically, for their clients mm-hmm. who are their donors. Yeah, know how to put on a show. They know how to put on a show because they listen to best practices. And it's not yeah. so much the yeah. scientists, even, that they're looking to as Madison Avenue. And like, so what works? But the point of this podcast truly is about best practices. Yeah, that's right. For those of us who don't necessarily look like the old guard thinks power should look or sound. Yes, You know, I asked some friends if they had any questions for you, and all of them. Had questions? I mean, sure, yeah. Okay. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. All of them asked the same question in different ways. Oh, really? Do tell. The same question, which is, how can we come across as knowledgeable, confident, assertive, without coming off as threatening or mm-hmm. aggressive or a bitch. Mm-hmm. That's that B word. Yep. Yep. 
It's my podcast, so I can say it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, um, I but, prefer not to, but everybody, I don't have to. Everybody knows what I'm talking and about. And truly, the other questions were, how do you speak truth to power without fear of retribution? How do you maintain your heart health when you mm. must align with mm-hmm. expectations of female communication in mm-hmm. systems that often do not allow for truth to be spoken. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and the other one is about how do you get permission, quote unquote, to be justifiably angry without the perception of being a bitch and right. being treated right. in a weird, placating, dismissive way. Right. And so the questions that I can answer more easily are what kinds of communications are received well and allow you to be effective within the right. context of the organization. Right. Right. The questions that are trickier are heart health and where do I put all this fucking anger? Right, right. The pretzeling of ourselves in order to do this. Right. So if I can execute this, do I have like a closet I can just go scream into for five minutes and let it all out or whatever Mm -hmm. that is? And that is a bigger challenge for sure. There's also, that makes me think of statistics I've heard that like the more uh, women in leadership, the more parity there is in an organization, the less these issues actually come up. That's right. And so there is a long-term strategic plan, if yeah, you're you will. the strategist. Yes, okay. Please. Which is to meet people where they're at now mm-hmm. and succeed so that women are in charge and win the game so you can change it, right? So once you have women in position of authority and there are all these expectations and I guess for good and for ill, right? That like once we put women in charge, everything will be wonderful and there will be much more empathetic leadership and outcomes will be greater. And I'm not sure how chauvinistic some of that is too, right? Right. I've been schooled that the answer to the patriarchy is not a matriarchy. Right. It's feminism. Right. Feminism is about equality. We're not actually saying, hey, these hierarchical structures are fucking awesome. (laughs) Let's just do put us at the top. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, it's a whole different way of approaching this. Maybe for like a little bit, just to like feel better. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, obviously the 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 whole lie of patriarchy is uh-huh. that this is good for men. I mean, it yeah. will actually be pretty great well, if there's a lot more. Patriarchy will tell you it's good for everyone because everyone knows their place and uh-huh. they're secure. Uh-huh. And let's look politically. There were a whole lot of women who voted that way in 2016, right? Because who were of much more comfortable lifelong indoctrination into yes, the patriarchy and fear of change and all the rest of it. Yeah, and proximal. Right. Power. I mean, it's white totally. women that we're talking about. Totally, totally. I mean, that's a really interesting one. And there were some really interesting research done just politically to figure out who are these women and how do we talk to them and what are their lives like? Yeah. And it was like, yes, there are two earners in the household, but my house is a much happier place when the man in it right. can feel like the head of the household right. and and feel respected and feel like he's living the life his father lived. Mm-hmm. And having Hillary Clinton in charge of the country is going to like mess mm-hmm. with that at mm-hmm. some deep primal level. I completely level. believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that. And so I know women that even would just act in the relationships in, in my own life, the mm-hmm. men in my own life as a, you know, completely out feminist mm-hmm. uh, who tries to live my values. Mm-hmm. I know what it is in those tiny moments of disagreeing with a man mm-hmm. to make sure that they still feel great about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We all do it. And we don't, like to talk about this much. And for many people, it's not a practical consideration. And that's a wonderful thing. But for many people, the threat of physical violence is a real thing, not from strangers. Yeah. And that's part of life for way too much of the population still. Right. Oh, you're such a good straight white man to have on. Uh, (laughs) um, You worked with Hillary during the 2016 campaign. Is that right? That is right. Can you tell us a little bit about what you focused on? 
So we focused on the impression that she was making and how she was coming across. And so I worked with her very specifically around each of the three general election debates against Donald mm-hmm. Trump. And so she was being pitted against this monstrous figure who was super hostile and takes no prisoners in his own approach to communication. And she was in the classic double bind where she had to project authority. She had to defend herself against this guy. It it was by definition, a competitive endeavor. And yet she had to be appealing to voters as somebody that they would potentially be seeing every day on their media and could not appear too abrasive, could not appear off-putting in that way, which as we know is really hard for women to accomplish both of those things at once. I mean, one thing that I do remember clearly because it was such a ridiculous thing to have happen Mm. is that I was literally, you know, me, who the hell am I, was literally advising Hillary Clinton, world historical figure, that it's a sexist country. (laughs) And not not like she didn't know that. Of course she knew that. But if you want to be in charge of a sexist country, then there are some things that you should take into account that are different than than how you might otherwise. Was she like eye rolly or was she like game or both? I much less eye rolly in the like, oh my God, that, then like the, yeah, I, I fucking know that. Right. right. <laughs> it's much more like, yeah, I mean, thanks for yeah, reminding yeah, me, yeah. but Tell really, me more you really don't need to remind me of that experience. one. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and not just the female experience, but her unique experience. Look, the reason I'm asking is now that Elizabeth yes. Warren has dropped out, I yeah. can't help but wonder if mm-hmm. there's any way the outcome would have been any different if the stuff that's within our purview had been different if she had oh, changed yeah. her demeanor. No question. I mean, if you want me to analyze Elizabeth Warren and what happened with that, I can do that. Yeah, I'm happy yeah I'd to love do your that. thoughts. I've not I think we're all still worked with her directly. And I love her and have a lot of thoughts about what she did effectively and less effectively. Look, there's a narrative that I think is accurate that says whether it was a conscious decision or not, that she kind of sacrificed herself to save democracy from the billionaire interloper, Mm. that she used the occasion of Bloomberg's first appearance on the debate stage to lay waste to him in a way that crippled his surging candidacy at that point, but also painted her in not the most appealing light. She came down hard on him, and that was not necessarily the most flattering image she could have projected for herself at that Do you moment. think, though, that it was meant to suggest him as a proxy to how she would be with Trump in a debate? Yeah, and I think that's a strategy, too. But if that was her strategy to say, here's how I would uh, approach Donald Trump, and here's how I would appear on America's television screens in October of 2020, asking to be their next president, I don't think it was a good answer. I think it was way too harsh frankly. And even though it if worked. a man did exactly the same thing, it worked in terms of blowing up the target. Right. Yeah, right. for sure. But Backfired. It, it sacrificed her own, her own, there is something we call the quality of life voter theory. And that is that it is actually very rational to vote for somebody who you find pleasant because the chances that their policy prescriptions are the right ones, could get passed, would have their intended effects. Mm-hmm are very remote Mm -hmm. and very hard to judge for your average voter. But your average voter is a pretty good judge 
of whether if this person were elected, that the experience of having them in their lives and talking to their coworkers and their kids about this person and hearing them on their radio every morning, whether that would be pleasant or not. And that affects their quality of life. Is the implication that if she had not eviscerated uh, Bloomberg, that her campaign would have done better on Super Tuesday? It depends what else she had done instead. Mm. She can be very winning. She's a fantastic communicator, not just because she's freaking brilliant, but she has a tone that she achieves sometimes that is just so lovely, Mm. that is both authoritative but so empathetic at the same time. She does the strength warmth balance really beautifully, but she doesn't always stick to that. She often does other things instead. Her town hall energy is so different than her debate energy. That's right. That's right. And the debate is a competitive endeavor. And so it's yeah. understandable yeah. that she goes there. I mean, look, I would have liked is... the narrative to have been mm-hmm. that that way that she, you know, handled Bloomberg, which made, you know, women around the country cheer at somebody who wasn't just playing, hey, um, you know, the, the not nice just women. The, thank you. But but because of our own experience <laughs> uh-huh. being within the double bind, yeah, of course. seeing somebody. Oh, my God. Yeah. you love to, you see know, it. sort of unfurl it in their way unapologetically. Absolutely. It would have been great mm-hmm. if the story had been. And that worked. And she was rewarded. Yeah. For it, right? and, and in a certain ways, she was. There it. was some surge after that, obviously, probably yeah. from the people who saw yeah. themselves in her. But then for the mm-hmm. ultimate narrative to have been, you know, oops, that fucked her. That's pretty hard to. Swallow. Look, I don't think it was just that. I think there was a moment there ahead of Super Tuesday for her to show us her most compelling version of her that everybody would feel fantastic going to sleep at night and waking up in the morning knowing she was in the White House and in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. And she did not show us that. She chose instead to cut this guy off at the knees. Looking at the example of Obama and how he never, ever, somehow and in his entire public career, yeah. Let himself be seen showing anger. I don't have any visual for it, and except possibly like the sort of like surge of strength when he said bin Laden's been killed. But even that wasn't anger. It was just like intensity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looked annoyed right. a lot when he was president. He was dealing with all this other stuff, but he didn't do the angry thing. That's a good point because, you know, I think that the thing that, you know, people like me bump up against when we're told that women can't show anger in public is like, you know, fuck you, mm-hmm. we can, we just have to figure out how to do it right. But maybe the answer really yeah. is, if you take from, yeah. you know, the Obama lesson, the answer really is try to channel it into something else that is just more palatable. And uh, listen, I I have a temper and mostly I don't like that, but it's certainly part of who I am. And I don't like to tell people you cannot do that. But I think it is certainly instructive to see that our first African-American president is somebody who had that mm-hmm. whole aloha spirit going and never, ever, ever once even gave us that visual. Well, that's infuriating. <laughs> We're going to take a break to uh, simmer and come back to find out whose voice you've picked. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
you have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are back, and we are going to talk about the person whose voice you brought in for us. John, who did you bring in? I brought in the former governor of the great state of Texas, Ann Richards. And what a classic, <laughs> classic, gorgeous archetype of, of I'm female dating leadership. myself here, I think. Well, yeah, for, and exactly. for all of us who were not necessarily conscious and certainly conscious of Alive. the political world yeah. in the 80s, um, right. she uh-huh. really uh, burst onto the national stage in the 84 and then especially the 88 Democratic National Convention where she was the keynote speaker. And we're going to listen to a little Mm -hmm. bit of that. Why did you choose her? So I chose her because to me, she's as good as anybody, male, female, at projecting all of the things that you want in a leader all at once. And to some degree, that makes her sort of so wonderful that she's inaccessible, Mm -hmm. that the lessons from listening to her are probably harder to implement to some degree, but I do think there's a lot there to unpack. And I think it's worth just admiring the fact that it can be done and it can be done at such a high level in such a compelling way. And she's just marvelous to listen to. Okay, we're going to listen to a little bit. Behind his calm, there's an impatience to unify this country and to get on with the future. His instincts are deeply American. They're tough. And they're generous. And personally, I have to tell you that I have never met a man who had a more remarkable sense about what is really important in life. So she's talking about failed Democratic candidate for presidency in 1988, Michael Dukakis. And I chose that clip partly because actually of the content of it, because she actually talks about what leadership means, you know. Mm-hmm. but also for the style. She was known for her one-liners and her humor, and so this was a bit where she's not relying on that, and yet it's still, you know, extremely yeah. strong. It's great when we look at her, if anybody wants to go to YouTube and check this out, Texas Treasurer Ann Richards gives the keynote address at the 1988 Democratic National Convention, is what it's called. You know, the look of it and the sound of it are somewhat surprising, especially, I think, for a modern audience, because she really looks like a, um, I mean, she looks like, Nancy Reagan, you know, she looks like a... It's the 80s. It's the 80s, and but she looks like a specific kind of grandma who should be, like, mm-hmm. really tight. And yet she's got a looseness and a sparkle to her. 
That's right. And sound-wise, I mean, A, she's got her accent. She talks about it in the speech, in fact, and Mm -hmm. and references it and says this is what a real Texas accent sounds like if you've been listening to George (laughs) W. H. Bush too much, which is a beautiful way of owning your sound, right? To say mine's, what you've got here is something that's authentic, so why would I hide behind, you know, why would I discount it? Absolutely, I own it. And then what I love is, okay, content-wise, what she's saying about this gentleman she's there to speak well of is that his leadership style is all-American, that he's tough and generous. And I thought, well, what a Mm. talk about strength and warmth. (laughs) She captured it right And then she said he has a calm exterior and an impatient interior. Mm -hmm. She's actually defining a style of leadership that, you know, we should all— emulate. And what I love that I really want to point out to people is she has this line at the end where she says he has a remarkable sense about what is really important in life. And I love that phrase because, you know, her phrasing rather, because to -hmm. say a sense about what is important in life, I mean, talk about an empty platitude. It could mean literally nothing. And if it was written either by you or by someone else and delivered by you, Mm -hmm. you could, it is physically Mm -hmm. possible for every one of us to deliver that like it's just words. But instead, she takes Mm -hmm. this pause right after really what is really important in life. And you see her just actually Mm -hmm. go there so that those three words mean like her lifetime of, you know, God knows, hardship and making hard decisions and, and, you know, doing hard things. And it's all in that tiny little pause right before it. And in investing in, I'm going to say something that sounds trite, but I'm going to fill it with as much life as humanly possible. Absolutely. And that, if you want to talk about practical stuff, if you want to deliver something with strength that makes people sit up and take notice, the tone of how you deliver it is important, sure. But probably the most important thing is the pause that you take right before and right after what you say. The pause before gets people's attention because you were talking a second ago and now, wait, the rhythm is different. What's happening? And so people perk up. And they, they listen. And so that pause says, okay, you ready? Here it totally. comes. I think what's gorgeous about the pause is that sometimes we hear that advice and we just think like literally stop talking. But the, the secret is fill it. <laughs> it has to be, you know, what makes a pause a pregnant pause? And the answer is that there's yes. a real sense of expectation in it. And that comes That's from right. us literally breathing, thinking an interesting thought. We can see interesting thoughts on your face before you say mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, and the anticipation of what is going to come out. And then it comes out. And no matter how boring of a phrase it is, important in life, quote unquote, it feels full. Oh, yes. Because you, you're in that moment, in that moment of that pause, you're making sure everybody's with mm. you. You're drawing them into you. And then you deliver it. And then you pause again to say, you got that, right? Right. That was the right, and that and confidence, then you, can go on talking to you know, that confidence that I can mm. take that pause and people will stay with me. Exactly, is um, exactly. they will, they almost always will. But to trust mm-hmm. that you can take that pause is, you know, that's that's what she's a real master class in. I mean, among other things, it is. A, it's a gesture of strength. That's right to say that way that she feels like she's in her back. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you watch it, I mean, yeah, it's, a, like it's a sound thing, but it's physical. Exactly. She, it feels like there is nothing about her demeanor, talking about what we talked about earlier with the, you know, Moravian stuff. There's nothing in her demeanor mm-hmm. that says, I don't belong here. Mm, she owns it. Yep. She belongs right up there in charge of the room. That's the kind of thing that even though, yes, she's a master class and unrepeatable, it is that kind of thing that I think we can practice. I think that's true. I think the accent, as she said herself, is a little tough to imitate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there are some other things going on. Back if we, you know, took on a fact. That right. Yes. No, not a good idea. And and she is both recognizable 
from her voice, she's recognizably female and older. Yes. There's a sense that she has, she's lived some things. And so she's speaking with some experience. And that comes through. It's always right there, kind of in your face, that that's part of what you're hearing is somebody's lifetime of experience there. That's, you know, that's not going to be as applicable to all Mm -hmm. of us. But the pause and the way she executes that moment, you're right, is directly useful to all of us. We can, I think, translate that age component, which you're right, we can't literally translate, but we can sort of metaphorically translate it onto ourselves in that it feels like the way she's using her age is she has earned the right or she has told herself, you know, enough that she believes it, that she's earned the right Mm -hmm. to say, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean energy it's like, what a genius. And we can all do yes. that. Yes. Even if we're, you know, not cracking our 30s yet or whatever. If you're confident in it, if you are sure that it is the right thing and you can speak from there, yeah. It's not insistent in the sense of being agitated, right? It's not upset. It's totally calm. This is how it is because you just know. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of connecting. You know, it's not just reflecting on her that she's got an authority on this subject, but it's connecting to the audience. You know what I mean is saying we're all in this together. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. So good. Well, thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for bringing her in. She's like such a, you know, classic. You might as well, you might as well hear the best. Mm. There's a lot to learn. I love it. I love it. I really appreciate that. Well, John, thank you so much. Of course, it was a pleasure. Thank you to John for coming in. You can find out more about him in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. Also, you can go to permissiontospeakpod.com if you have any awesome quotes you'd like me to read at the top of the episodes. And if you have any questions, I will do an Ask Me Anything episode from time to time, and I want to know what is getting in the way of your voice. You can also send DMs or voice messages to our Instagram at permission to speak pod, where we're posting a bunch of content. And please join the community. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio, to Megan Reed, to my family and cohort, and to all of you. We're recording this podcast in the iHeartRadio studios in Hollywood on land that used to belong to the Tongva indigenous tribe, and you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.